Hi, welcome to another episode of Knowing God with Heart and Mind. It's me, Pastor Dan, ready to study scripture with you again so that together we can really know God with heart and mind. You know, the fundamental goal is to know God, and we like this sort of Wesleyan way of looking at things because it really encourages our critical thinking as much as it encourages us to read and believe and to trust in the nature of God. Each week we're going to look at the scriptures, we're going to think about traditions, we're going to think about the uh, present realities, we're going to do our critical thinking, we're going to add a little bit of knowledge wherever we can find it, and uh, together hopefully come into a more complete relationship with God through the Word. Now one of the things that I want to remind you of is that we are fundamentally committed to the truth that the Bible is the Word of God, that it is not the sole source of God's Word to us, but it is this incredibly wonderful foundation upon which we can build so many aspects of our relationship with God. That is to say that the Bible is God's complete package that has everything we need in order to have the right kind of relationship with God. And without it, there's just a too big a hole in our spiritual lives. And so continue, therefore, to seek God in many ways. Go to church. Listen to good biblical preaching. Be a part of a great Bible study. Be a part of a good Sunday school class. Pray and study the Word with other people you know. And in conversation and in the radio broadcasts from uh, K-Love and the great Christian music or many other terrific sources, I like Moody Broadcasting myself, listen to many of these sources and you will find the Word of God just oozing out all over the place. But ultimately, the foundation upon which it's all built is the Word of re God revealed, that is, the mind of God revealed through scripture. And then it is added to and expressed by anointed teaching and preaching and Christian conversation. And all of these things are so important. That's why I want to urge you not to use this virtual Bible study as your one and only source of religious activity. If you are not part of a church, please find one and become a part of it. It'll be all right. You may have to try a few churches before you find the one that you feel God has led you to. And uh, that's okay, because uh, God seems to have allowed the many different kinds of Christianity to coexist all these years, perhaps because God understands there are many kinds of Christians. And yet they are all one in the Holy Spirit and the children of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And in that way, we have a shared journey, even though we might express it with different tastes and different kinds of activity. The only thing that seems to really hurt churches and congregations of believers is when they become more inwardly focused and not entirely devoted to God and God's will. And it is almost certain that every church where the people are focused on the holiness of God and seeking God's will will ultimately be reaching out to others. It is a saying at Corinth Church where I serve as pastor in the United Methodist tradition 
Uh, we like to say that we are being disciples even as we are seeking disciples and in that way changing the world. It is an idea that simply stems from the mission statement of the United Methodist Church to seek disciples for the transformation of the world. And in that respect, it begins with our own discipleship. And that is what this virtual Bible study is all about. So let's get started right now. Last week I was boasting to you about the wonderfully warm and luscious early spring weather we were having here at Parsons Prairie. And like a lot of people in this country right now, I'm finding out that uh, winter isn't done with us yet. Here at Parsons Prairie this week, the nighttime lows have been somewhere in the 20s to upper teens. and. The chickens are a little disappointed with me for taking away their hay bales to protect them from the wind, and uh, I guess I can't blame them, really. It's a good thing chickens are pretty hardy, and they put off a lot of heat. Have you ever held a chicken? You ought to try it sometime. They are warm, they generate a lot of heat, and uh, they're actually pretty cuddly once you get their legs kind of cupped up into your arm. So, uh, once again, a little taste of country life for you to contemplate there. I'm looking out across the Parsons Prairie right now, and uh, things are still brown, but there are buds on the trees, and the grass has its patches of green, and the cold is definitely stunting some of this, but it isn't, uh, it isn't going to change the fact that the days have gotten longer. We've survived yet another time change here on Parsons Prairie, and uh, most of us are still trying to recover that hour of sleep we lost last Sunday morning. And uh, waking up in the dark is just not fun for me anyway, and uh, so I look forward to the days lengthening again soon to the extent that we can awaken with sunshine in the window. It just seems to make it so much easier to get started. Now, Parsons Prairie is uh, located up here in north-central Indiana, and uh, we're on the flatlands surrounded by farm fields, but the crops haven't been planted yet, so what we see is a lot of dirt and cut corn stalks, and, uh, and the wind is just pretty much uninterrupted at this time of the year by anything. And so this cold spell reminds us of how a cold wind can just chill you to the core that walk across the Ruthie Road from the parsonage to the church building in the morning is definitely a chilly experience. Thank goodness for a warm office and hot coffee. Now this March 26th will be the fourth Sunday in the season of Lent and It means that we are getting ever so close to Holy Week and remembering our Lord's passion and celebrating his incredible gift of love and grace to us, followed by the miracle of miracles, the resurrection of our Lord and uh, the opening of the gates of hell so that we might all be welcomed in God's presence and never fear death again and look forward to our own day of resurrection That is such good news. That's what evangel means, you know. Evangelization is sharing the good news. The good news is that Christ died for us while we were sinners, and God 
blesses us because of him and invites us into a personal relationship that is facilitated by Jesus and we are born again by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that great news? Praise God every day and let's begin now to look at the Word of God for the people of God. As you know, the Revised Common Lectionary gives us a reading from the Old Testament, from the Psalms, and, uh, and then an epistle that is a letter from uh, one of the apostles. And uh, try to say that five times fast, epistles of the apostles. And then we have uh, a gospel reading about our Lord and usually always contains the words of our Lord Jesus. And uh, so today's first reading from the Revised Common Lectionary is taken from the first book of Samuel, chapter 16. We'll read verses 1 to 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one that I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. And when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the, Lord anointed, the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all your sons? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. And so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. And the lectionary gives us Psalm 23 this week 
for many of us, it's a very familiar and comforting word. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all of the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let us pray. Source of light, God of great mercy and love, we come to you this day seeking restoration of our sight. Clear away our blindness and give us a new vision of all that we can accomplish in your name. Give us strength and confidence to truly witness to your abiding love and faithfulness. For we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I've said to you several times now that I think that there is a certain anointing on the Revised Common Lectionary. Now, I'm also concerned, as I say that, it might uh, sound overstated, so let me reiterate the fact that I consider the Revised Common Lectionary a work of human hands uh, and minds, that it is uh, in the same spirit as a sermon prepared by a mere human like myself. It is something that is inspired by God and with the help of the Holy Spirit, anointed by God to serve God's purposes. So uh, don't think for a moment that I put the lectionary up there with the scripture or, uh, or uh, more sacred and holy things. It's simply a vehicle that God seems to utilize. And, and I'm going to show you what I mean here. I haven't mentioned this yet in this brand new uh, podcast series, but uh, I do think that if one is very thoughtful and careful in in reading through the lectionary readings each week, uh, you begin to get a picture of an underlying theme. Um, I think that the scholars and uh, and and elders of our faith who put this thing together many 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 years ago. Um, probably knew and were conscious of some of the things that they had woven together in the scheduling of these readings. But it appears to me that there is a spiritual aspect to a Holy Spirit weaving of themes. And so as we read through each of the lectionary uh, scheduled readings from Scripture, uh, watch carefully for underlying themes and see the different ways that they are woven together by the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, for example, today we have the story of David's anointing, and then we have uh, this uh, Psalm 23, which is which is a a, uh, a story of one who is hiding in the shadows from an enemy who seeks to do him harm. Um, the legend of David and Saul is. Uh, pretty familiar to lifelong church attenders, but uh, for the benefit of those who may not know, 
um, let me just kind of give you a summary. You know, um, the Bible tells us that uh, Saul was a tall and dark and handsome uh, ancient uh, Palestinian man. He was he was good looking. The women all fell at his feet because he was so pretty to look at, and the you know all the men respected him because he stood taller than the rest and and uh, he he just had all the qualities of a great leader and uh, you know historically speaking we've seen that uh, humanity seems to prefer to take the lead of taller men i don't know why i mean i do i guess because there's a sociological and psychological aspect to it but nevertheless a person's height and good looks don't necessarily equate to great leadership and great faith. And that's certainly what turned out to be the case in Saul's leadership. He was chosen as the first king of Israel because the people insisted on having a king. And since they just had to have a king, of course they chose the one who looked like a king should look. Consequently, they got a, well, you know, I'm holding an L up over my forehead. Uh, is that out of date now? Am I showing that I'm out of touch with current uh, trends? Uh, a few years ago, that was a simple way to illustrate what we think of certain kinds of characteristics. Anyway, so Saul is this guy who, uh, you know, can fight a battle fairly well, and, and uh, he can certainly strut around and look kingly, but uh, in the end, he's, he's not favored by God, and uh, he seems to be in place not so much because God wanted him there, but to illustrate to the people of Israel what happens when you get what you want instead of what you need. And uh, so the people began to realize that he probably wasn't the best guy in the world for the job, but God knew and Samuel knew, and Samuel tried to correct Saul and steer him in a better direction, and all that did was anger Saul. And uh, so Saul became very frustrated with Samuel, and these two guys were at odds with each other um, pretty much until Saul's death. And that's why in this uh, Old Testament reading of the anointing, <clears throat> the people are a little scared in Bethlehem when Samuel shows up because they're figuring, hey, the king's pretty ticked off at Samuel. And now Samuel's showing up in our village. Wherever Samuel goes, trouble is probably not far behind. And uh, that's a fair assumption. And for that reason, they're kind of anxious about Samuel's presence. And he tells them, <clears throat> it's okay. Uh, the Lord sent me, and uh, he came to uh, have me perform some priestly duties. You know, Samuel was the official prophet of the nation, and therefore, wherever he showed up, it was permitted, of course, in a in a legal and uh, political sense. But more than that, he could declare his intentions, and the people could have their fears taken away if his intentions were entirely religious, or if he had said, actually, I uh, am calling up an army to rebel against Saul, and uh, in which case the people would have been quite anxious and not at all thrilled about the idea of helping, uh, since after all, you know, if you've got a comfortable life and the king isn't that bad, really. You know, doesn't that sound a little bit like politics in your land? 
we put up with a lot just because we're comfortable and we're a little afraid of the discomfort that we might suffer if we rebel against things that we know are wrong. I don't know what the answer is. I'm not suggesting any kind of political agenda. I'm just saying, you know, one of these days you may find yourself in a position where you have to be willing to sacrifice your comfort in order to do the right thing. And uh, I hope that you will have the courage of the Holy Spirit and God's direction steering you towards whatever it is that's right and away from whatever it is that isn't. Um, anyway, Samuel shows up in Bethlehem and uh, he says to them, no, I'm here for a religious activity. I, I want to perform a special service for you people in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem, even before the birth of Christ there, has a special meaning. Um, it becomes a extremely important place after David's anointing and his kingship and uh, it becomes a central part of all the prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. But at the time Samuel shows up there, it's just important because it seems to be a place that uh, is visited often by uh, the holy people that have walked with God in the past. For example, it's the place where uh, Jacob and his family were trekking to Bethel and uh, unfortunately uh, Jacob's wife Rachel died giving birth to their son Bethlehem to Benjamin at Bethlehem and uh, Bethlehem is the place where Ruth the widow from Moab found her husband Boaz and gave birth to Obed and David's that is uh, David's grandfather and, and David himself made Bethlehem a famous place so you know, it, it just is a not an accidental sort of happening. And Bethlehem is a special place because at the time when uh, Jesus was born, the heaven itself opened up before uh, the shepherds in the fields there. And uh, in a way, you could say that, uh, that God has a, a, a window over Bethlehem that he has peered through on numerous occasions uh, because of its sacredness in uh, at least that God seems to find favor there. Uh, I'll let you sort that out in your own thinking. But the interesting thing is, is that uh, it is this uh, experience of David's anointing that we really want to focus on, and that is that uh, David was a... Um, was a, a youngest of the children there, you know, and uh, I, I, here's a book for you to read. You should check out a book called The Birth Order Book. It is fascinating. And if you'll read this book, you will understand your family better, your family of origin better. And here's the really amazing thing. It'll even help you understand a lot of what you read in the Bible better. There is just something about the order in which we are born that seems to set up certain um, dynamics. And uh, so here's the case. You know, he's the youngest. He's, he's you know, kind of, uh, it, you get the impression he might be sort of a mama's boy, you know. But in any case, the, uh, the father of, of uh, David presents Samuel with all of his sons. And, and the ones that are named, I'm guessing, are named because... They were good-looking and tall and had all the characteristics of a king, you know. And uh, and yet God tells Samuel and Samuel tells Jesse, nope, 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 still not got the right guys. And uh, 
eventually they get to look at David. And the Bible goes out of its way to tell us a little bit about David. It, it says he's a winsome sort of fella. Uh, I love that word, and uh, I'm not even sure how to translate it. Uh, but it, it just means that he was a free spirit. He was easygoing. Things didn't uh, things didn't get to him. You know, he he was he was lighthearted, and and this is remarkable because we'll learn later on uh, in our reading about. Uh, uh, David, that he was pretty terrified at one point in his life, but uh, at this point, he is um, he is just a this lighthearted young man, this teenager without a care in the world. You know how teenage boys are; they figure they'll live forever. You know he's already fought off lions and other uh, threats to his flock, and he just doesn't know the meaning of fear. He is just sort of a. a a uh, free spirit and uh, also you know uh, borderline reckless i guess and and uh, but there's a reckless abandon that i guess we can have that isn't such a bad thing because you know faith looks an awful lot like a reckless abandon sometimes doesn't it so anyhow david is the one he's chosen to be the next king and he is blessed by god in a particular way and what an unlikely character he turned out to be. He's not tall. He's not dark-skinned. Uh, some of the words used in the uh, scripture to describe him give us the impression that he may have been kind of fair-skinned, maybe even blonde or auburn-haired, you know. And uh, when you think about what people from that part of the world look like, uh, typically, um it doesn't really fit the mold, you know. He was outside a lot and yet still not uh, exceedingly dark-skinned from the sun and uh, not particularly weather-worn, you know. It's just sort of interesting because when you're looking for someone to lead your armies and protect you against your enemies and stand down uh, the kings of other nations, you know, you, you look for somebody who's got the kind of intimidating appearance that is... Uh, 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 favorable in those kind of situations, and yet God has anointed this fella that uh, doesn't seem at all likely. Then we go to the reading from Psalm 23. We are familiar with it, many of us, because of its uh, use so many times in our culture and in the Christian culture, especially. Um, it is it is attributed to David. Many of the Psalms, vast majority of them, were thought to be written by David. And um, you know, there again, uh, how many kings are uh, poets? You know, how many times do you imagine the youngest child, uh, uh, a fair-skinned lad who likes to sit on a rock, chewing on a weed, and singing songs and writing poetry, becoming the king, you know, uh, it's so unlikely. And uh, and yet, I'd like for you to take a moment to really think about the Psalms. Um, the Psalms are, are prayers, they're poems, um, they're not poetry in the way that we tend to think about poetry in, in Western culture. It doesn't really matter whether the words rhyme or whether they have a particular meter or rhythm. Um, what they are is deep, heartfelt expressions of feelings. Um, you know, fellas, we have a problem sometimes expressing our feelings. And uh, honestly, if we're going to really, really be honest with ourselves, us men, 
would look at a guy like David as he was at the time of his anointing and we'd go, he seems a little fruity, he seems a little flaky, and uh, I don't mean any disrespect in any way when I say that. It would just, just men as a rule, uh, manly men especially, would just look at somebody who writes poetry and expresses his feelings uh, as weak and uh, even effeminate. And, uh, you know, David is proof that that doesn't really cut it with God. That isn't, uh, that isn't what God wants in a leader necessarily is uh, someone who's manly. What, what God wants is someone whose heart is open, someone who's willing to really trust God and, and to really interact with God in a very personal way. And the Psalms are, are a sign for us of how a man who was after God's own heart talked to God. So uh, I want to propose that we, especially us men who love the Lord, would read the Psalms regularly. And I suggest reading them out loud. And uh, inflection is really important. So go ahead and pour your own heart into them as you read them. Imagine yourself hiding from this manly man, King, who wants to kill you because he knows that God has anointed you over him. He knows that this is... This is uh, uh, his inevitable fate, and he's out to get you, and you find yourself like David hiding in a wadi. The wadi's out there in the deserts around uh, the Negev and out there near the Dead Sea. These are, are uh, uh, cracks that go deep into the earth, and above the cracks and the surface, there's just nothing but rock and heat and uh, various shades of brown and yellow and orange and it's a very lifeless plain and the wind is hot and dry and down in these wadis way down into these valleys or these uh, canyons you might call them there are more often than not springs of water that run and they have carved out these canyons over generations and uh around that water and in the shadow of the cliff sides of the wadi there is life and so david is hiding from his enemy in the shadow of death he's in the shadow of the lifeless hot burning plain above in the shadow he hides where there is life where there are green things where there are creatures like him hiding from the intense heat and uh, enjoying the fresh waters that come bubbling up from down below. It is an entirely different image, isn't it? And so he, he hides in these places, waiting for his time to come, and always in fear that his enemy is a, just a, around the bend. Uh, you know, remember Star Wars? Some of you won't go with me here, but some of you will. You know, when R2-D2 is walking or rolling through the, the valley uh, in the desert and he's all on his own and, and the Jawas are creeping about and their little red eyes are blinking and, you know, that's what the Wadis are like. It's a lot like that. And somewhere deep in that Wadi, there is a place where there's probably going to be water and greenery and life, maybe caves to hide in for shelter. But there's also danger. There's only one way in and one way out, and it's a narrow passage. 
Now, this is what I imagine when I read these things from Psalms, and I imagine David expressing all of the feelings he has in his loneliness and isolation. You know, that's the problem that many spiritual leaders face. There will always be an attempt by their enemies to isolate them. Because when you isolate them, you can say whatever you want to them, and no one is going to be able to refute you. You can uh, hurt them, and no one can refute you because, uh, or refute it, because they don't know. I'm probably muddled, muddled that up a little bit. But you know, isolation is a way to take someone wherever you want and do whatever you want, say whatever you want, and then there's only your word and theirs. And uh, isolation is a place where our fears are intensified, where our loneliness uh, brings us pain. And uh, so, you know, read the Psalms, especially when you're feeling lonely and isolated. And let the feelings of David be your feelings. And uh, let the personal relationship with God that David had be a model for you in your personal relationship with God. we read from the letter to the Ephesians. Uh, we're going to read chapter 5, verses 8 to 14. Ephesians 5, 8 to 14. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Today's Gospel reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 9. We're going to read several verses. Verses 1 to 41. John 9, 1 to 41. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth, that is Jesus, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming. And when, one can, when no one can work, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. 
But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. Uh, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. And now that day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? And so they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And the man replied, He is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. He will speak for himself. Oh, I messed up there. We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how, can, how he can see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders and who, uh, who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. And that was why his parents said, He's of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? <laughs> then they hurled insults at him and said, You are the fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listened to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. Now you dare to lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, 
For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and they asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So, what kind of themes have you picked up on in our readings? Where do you see the Holy Spirit weaving all of these stories together? Some of the things that jump out for me are uh, the theme of blindness. Um, now, a little familiarity with the bigger story of David and his role in Saul's life will help, but uh, since... We've talked about that a few minutes ago, excuse me. We have a, uh, a better understanding, I guess, that, you know, Saul had a blind rage towards, uh, towards David. I mean, there's a reason David hid in the shadows in the far out uh, countryside there, as far from the city places where people like Saul were most often found. There was a reason he was hiding from Saul, and it was because this man had a blind rage that uh, made him want to destroy anyone who threatened the good gig that he had. And uh, so there's David hiding from a man who is blind. The people were blind. They didn't know what kind of uh, king they were going to get and uh, all they knew was is that if they were going to be the next greatest nation then they needed a king because that's what all the great nations do. It's important to keep in mind that this is an era that has been like no other in the history of Israel. They did emerge for a time to be one of the great nations uh, if not the most powerful in the region for a time and uh, so you know, there's a lesson there for all of us in church, especially, you know, in churches, one of the common themes that is repeated over and over again is this pining for the glory days. There's this, uh, there's this thinking that we have uh, never been as great as we were back when we had this and we had that and when these things were happening and those things were happening. And, and, and that may very well be true. But there's a kind of spiritual blindness there, too, because to look backward and always reminisce about the past is to be blind to the future or even the present. And uh, so this theme of blindness sort of uh, runs through these passages today, kind of saying to people, um, you know, what are you blind to? Maybe Jesus is standing right in front of you saying, come this way. And, uh, and your blindness is keeping you from seeing it. Um, boy, I tell you, in all the years that I've served, uh, uh, the privilege of serving as a pastor, I, I have seen how spiritual blindness uh, affects people, even those who read their Bibles regularly, who worship in church every week, and, and yet there's a blindness there because they're, they're uh, just unwilling to see. And, and so that old saying is true. There are none so blind as those who will not see. 
I think that's pretty much what Jesus said to the Pharisees that questioned him at the very end of the gospel reading today is, you know, you don't consider yourselves blind, and for that reason, you're actually more guilty of sin than the one who was blind and then embraced the one who restores sight. And uh, so the lesson for us is so plain in, in these uh, readings here. We have, we have uh, life in the shadows, you know, we have, uh, we have the evil that wanders in the, in, in the open spaces because it's blind to what it cannot see. It's, uh, it's, you know, uh, when you're wandering out in that desert where the sun never stops shining, where the sky is blue and the ground is a, is a pale yellow and, uh, uh, you know, your eyes become acclimated so that when you step into the shadows of the wadi, you're blind. You, you can't see the one that you're hunting down, even if he's right in front of you, but simply back in the shadows in the cleft of the rocks. And uh, in that same place, there's light, but not enough for those who are blind. In that place, there is life, but the life is lost on those who are blind. And uh, so, you know, think about that. Consider the possibility that you have kept your mind and your eyes closed to certain truths for maybe a little too long. It's a hard truth to hear, but we all have to face this reality, and uh, myself included. There are times when I simply say, oh my gosh, I've been blind. I didn't know. I simply couldn't see. I repent of my ignorance and all that it has wrought in my life, and then I move forward again. We all do, or we die blind. And so when we look at the reading that uh, came from the letter to the Ephesians, you know, it's no surprise that Paul, who was blinded by his encounter with Christ and had his eyes opened. Ah, what a story! The same man who wrote that letter to the church in Ephesus was fighting to destroy Christianity and everything associated with it. And then one day, the Lord Jesus himself knocks him off his, his uh, horse or donkey or whatever the heck he was riding. And, and when he experiences the presence of Christ and the truth revealed by Christ, he's blinded. His eyes are closed for a time. And, uh, and later we read in the Acts of the Apostles that his eyes were opened again as those scales had fallen from them and he could see again. And, and it, it's sort of ironic and just incredibly majestically beautiful that uh, the man who was in a blind rage trying to destroy Christianity had his sight taken away so that he could see. And when he could see, he knew the truth. And this is the man who says, Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And so we who were once darkness are now light. Darkness and light, that seems to be the theme that has been, that has been emerging, in these, emerging in these scriptures today. And then there's the story that is the blind man who was blind from birth. 
and Jesus in another beautifully ironic and majestic twist spits on the ground and makes mud with his own spit. You can tell the truth. That's kind of gross sounding to you, isn't it? But if the Son of God, God in the flesh, was to spit on the ground and make mud with his spit and put it on you, you might be willing to see it differently or experience it differently. In this blind man's case, he didn't know. He didn't have any idea who was doing it. I mean, he said so himself. He he said, I don't know who did it. I didn't. I, they say this was this fellow named Jesus, but, you know, I don't know what he looks like because I was blind, you know. After Jesus did this, he was still blind for a while until he washed his eyes. So by the time he cleared his eyes and could see again, Jesus was long gone. And uh, don't you just love the way he talked to the Pharisees? I mean, boy, what a humorous conversation. He he really took them down a notch or two, and it made them mad, you know. And uh, there's another quality of the blind who will not see. Those who are so blind that they will not see, uh, they are very prone to anger when you confront them with the truth. When you just take the bottom out of their cockeyed logic, they are angry. And, uh, you know, sometimes even a little dangerous. But in this case, he just looks at them and he says, uh, you know, he says, look, I don't know if he was a sinner or not. All I know is, is I was blind and now I could see. And and then they asked him what he did to him again. And I, I just think this is hilarious. He says, I already told you what he did, but you just wouldn't listen. None so blind as those who will not see. He says, I told you. I told you what he did to me. And uh, I, I guess you're just checking all this out. I know this is sarcasm. I don't believe for a minute that this kid was trying to uh, actually recruit them in some innocent way. I think he was saying to them just as plain as day, you guys are numbskulls. Because he says, so I guess you want to become one of his disciples too. Well, you know, sometimes when people are saying really absurd things and they're trying to trap you into saying what they want you to say, the best response is to try to force them to say something they don't want to say. And uh, it has a way of sort of neutralizing the situation. And, uh, but again, it will result in uh, somebody being angry. And it's usually the person who already knows that their, uh, their rational thought has escaped them. And uh, now they're just angry. You know, when we talk about someone being in a blind rage, I've used that phrase a few times here, what are we really saying? A blind rage is when you're so angry you can't see straight, you can't think straight, and you're just doing dumb things. And uh, the dumb things have a way of compounding, uh, uh, and, and before long you've just become pretty dumb yourself. And so, uh, boy, when you're angry, you better stop and think about why. And you better stop and and uh, and reason out what is the source of your anger. You know, sometimes being angry is perfectly okay. Jesus was angry from time to time, and he reacted in anger. But uh, there was a righteousness to his anger, and uh, 
So, you know, not all anger is bad, but, but sometimes in the midst of anger, we do things and say things that we're definitely going to regret. So once anger comes, it's best to, you know, wait a little while and let it calm down and then, it, then evaluate what it was that made you so angry and decide, uh, you know, what are you going to do with that and whether it is even justified for you to be this angry. Um, getting your anger in control is a really, a, really a vital thing for any disciple of Christ and any person who just simply wants to live a balanced life. And, uh, you know, this man saying, now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he can open the eyes of the blind. You know, now he's really laying into these religious experts and they are ticked. I guess he's lucky they only threw him out and uh, didn't do anything worse to him. And then his response to Jesus, where is he, sir? Tell me so that I can believe in him. How many times when you read the scriptures, especially the New Testament stories of Jesus, have you wondered whatever happened to the people that Jesus encountered? I, I always wonder, you know, where did the... Where did the life of the Roman centurion go after Jesus spoke the words at Capernaum and uh, healed his servant? Uh, where, where, did, uh, where did this young man who had his sight restored after being born blind, you know, where does life go after that? I, I just love wondering about all of that. And, uh, you know, I hope you do too. So take what we've read from Scripture today. Take what we've talked about and uh, and think about these things and pray about these things and uh, more importantly you know go back and read them again so that you can truly know God with all your heart and mind and soul well that's it for today's uh, this week's edition of the Knowing God with Heart and Mind podcast. I hope you've been blessed. I hope that you have uh, gotten to know God more with your heart and mind and that uh, through this pro- uh, podcast you've had a chance to grow more deeply in your relationship with God and uh, enhanced by the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you to make regular Sunday worship a part of your life. I know some of you work on Sunday mornings, and so you might consider going to a place where you can worship at uh, the hours when you're not at work. And, uh, you know, but make regular worship part of your life. Be a part of a Christian community. It's so important. Don't be a lone wolf. Isolation. Remember, we talked about it a lot today. Isolation is not good for you. You need to be a part of a Christian community. Be a part of a small group Bible study. Be a part of a Sunday school class. Uh, Have regular coffee with a Christian friend or something, you know, and uh, attend church. Be part of a church. God ordained the church. God created it. Through Jesus, it was born. And yes, it is managed and operated by flawed people. Some more flawed than others, but they they are nonetheless uh, riding on uh, a wave that Jesus himself started and uh, was was uh, created in the birthing of the church through the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Uh, it is okay to 
be choosy about the church that you're a part of because some churches are healthier than others and you are going to be uh, go, you're going to these churches to get spiritually fed and to be a part of the feeding and caring for others in uh, in that process. So I mean, you know, you want to you want to choose a healthy church. There's nothing wrong with that. And uh, and you know, I am actually serving as the pastor of a church right now. It's Corinth United Methodist Church, and as a, a result of the the paycheck they give me and the ministries that they support, I am also able to provide you with this podcast. And so I would ask you to support this podcast by supporting Corinth United Methodist Church. You can visit Corinth United Methodist Church online uh, at corinthumc.com. That's C-O-R-I-N-T-H-U-M. C.com, CorinthUMC.com. There's a PayPal link there where you can worship God with an offering uh, in thanksgiving for this broadcast. Uh, You can also look for information there about joining us for worship on some Sunday morning or some other activity that you can find there on our uh, events uh, and functions. Um, And like I said, if not Corinth, then somewhere because you need to be part of Christian community. But that's all for now. God bless you. Have a wonderful week, and, uh, and I'm praying for you. Bye.